The following audio is from Steadfast Church in Asheville, North Carolina. We exist for maturing and multiplying disciples in Asheville and beyond for the glory of God. For more resources from Steadfast Church or to partner with us on mission, visit steadfastavl.org. Thank you, Pastor Larry. Good morning, church family. How are we doing? Great. So glad you're here. Uh, If you are new around here, my name is Brian, and I'm uh, privileged to be one of the pastors here. Teach most of the time, and uh, just thankfully you come out on a cold, rainy day and and worship Jesus with these people you might not know that well. Hope you feel like you belong here. Uh, We're a family, a big dysfunctional family, but uh, we hope that you feel the sense of belonging and uh, encouragement of the Lord this morning as we dive in. Got a lot of stuff going on this morning, Um, so if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to Galatians chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, there are hardback ones in the pews, pew racks there. It's going to be page 915, Galatians chapter 5. Uh, we are wrapping up a series today, uh, essentially kind of recalibrating ourselves around a renewed vision that we believe the Lord has given us for the life and the future of this congregation. And I've said it every week and will continue to say it every week. Uh, in fact, you're going to hear it so much, you're going to get tired of hearing it. And that's exactly what we want, because you'll start to be able to repeat it then. Uh, but very simply, it's this, that we exist to proclaim the good news of Jesus for the joy of all people to the ends of the earth. Very simple. Uh, If you read the Bible, you'll see those commands in there. So that's where we got it from. But we want to see the good news of Jesus reach all people for their joy. And uh, that particular part of ends of the earth uh, is very important. We have two specific opportunities for you today to help extend the good news of Jesus uh, to the ends of the earth. And I'll talk about those in a little bit. But for the last few weeks, we've been sort of walking through how we believe we can pursue this vision together. And uh, I've said this a few times as well, but we want to be disciples of Jesus who are knowing Christ, who are becoming a family, and who are loving our neighbor. Right? Again, very simple. This is what Jesus called us to do, to know him, to love our neighbor, and to, to love one another, become family here together. Now, you might ask, we're talking today about loving our neighbor. Why is that such a big deal? Why is it so important that we would make it one of the three sort of foundational aspects of discipleship here that we love our neighbor? And the answer is very simple. Uh, Jesus was asked on multiple occasions, hey, how, what are the greatest commandments out there? So of all the 613 commands of the Jewish law, uh, better the rabbi who could sort of summarize them. And, uh, and the, the religious people in particular trying to sort of test and trap Jesus would say, okay, what's the greatest? What's the most important? What, what commandment does every other commandment hang on? And Jesus' answer was always this. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. In other words, that, that Jesus says we should love God supremely with every fiber of our being all the time. But then he always followed with this, and the second is like it, that you should love your neighbor as yourself. And in fact, uh, I believe it's in Mark's gospel, he says, there is no greater commandment, singular, than these, which really irritates all the grammar police, right? There is no greater commandment than these, that you love the Lord your God and that you love your neighbor as yourself. Here's what Jesus is getting at. There's an inextricable link between love for God and love for people who are made in the image of God. And, and, and we would do well to get that right, to really understand what Jesus is on about here. 
You see it all over the place. Uh, to love God is to love the people whom are made in God's image. But I want to dig down into one specific passage here in Galatians 5 that I hope will make practical sense of this. Okay, so Galatians 5 is where we're going to be. Um, I want to give you just a warning at the outset. This is a bit of a strange passage, and um, the word circumcision is used what I would call an uncomfortable amount. <laughs> and we're not even talking about that aspect of it, but I'm going to read the entire text so that you see it in context, and I'll explain what it means as we dig down. But we're going to look primarily at the last couple of verses in this passage. So let me read it. Galatians 5, starting in verse 1. I'll read down to 15. You can follow along as I'll read, then I'll pray, and we'll dive in here. Galatians 5, starting in verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law, for you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly await for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, what a joy to be together with my brothers and sisters in the faith um, and to welcome in friends and strangers and neighbors. Um, Lord, I pray that what we do here each and every Sunday morning would not just feel like going through the motions. It's so easy for this to just be a thing that we do. But would you, in some way this morning, remind us and show us that, that we are here as brothers and sisters to meet with the living God. That you are here by your spirit and, and through your word, you are speaking to us. Make your presence known to us in this place. Help us to hear clearly from you and to receive challenge and encouragement and even rebuke if necessary, comfort, and more than anything, show us the beauty and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ that we might cling to him more fervently, that we might know him more deeply, we might love you, Lord, as you call us to. And so help me, Holy Spirit, to, um, to bring from this text what you want your people to hear this morning. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O oh, my Lord, 
my rock and my redeemer. We ask all of this in the beautiful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen, amen. amen. All right, um, we're gonna kind of bounce around through this passage. I'm not gonna go through the entire thing because as I said, there's parts of it that aren't pertinent for what we're talking about today. But look again with me at verse one and then we'll look at verse six. He says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For in Christ Jesus, verse six, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Now verse 11, but if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. What I want you to see here in the first section we're gonna look at is the centrality of the cross. The centrality of the cross. Now, what jumps out to me really at the end of the passage, verses 14 and 15, is this contrast between two groups of people. On the one hand, you have people who are loving and serving. And on the other hand, you have people who are biting and devouring. Why is that? What's going on here? Now, this is me speaking personally. I don't know about you, but in my experience as a follower of Jesus, the best people that I have ever known and the worst people I have ever known have all been church folk. How? How can that be? Because uniquely, Christianity brings up to the surface who we really are down deep. And it exposes whether Jesus is essential in our lives or whether we've merely made him ornamental. And I have news for you. Jesus refuses to be ornamental. He will not allow you to make him an accessory to your already overscheduled, overbusy, self-righteous lives. Not in the end. Now that may sound shocking that, that either Jesus is all to us or he's nothing at all to us. That may shock you, that may perturb you to hear that, but that's exactly the controversy that's happening here in the Galatian churches. Um, Paul reminds us in verse one that the reason that Jesus came, so that we would be free. And who doesn't want to be free? Freedom from sin, freedom from the guilt that weighs on us, the shame because we know who we are and what we've done, that constant nagging that we're not enough, free from sin, but also free from self-righteousness, free from trying to prove ourselves, which every one of us sort of gets trapped into, this idea of self-justification, proving to God, the world, and others that I am somebody. He, he frees us from that as well. Now, we've talked earlier in this series, if you weren't with us, I'll catch you up briefly, about the Judaizers. You guys remember the Judaizers? Talking about the Judaizers a little bit? Okay, those were Jewish people who had accepted Jesus but still hung on to the Jewish traditions and laws and practices and all that kind of stuff. And, um, and, and there was a controversy between them and the Gentiles, Gentiles being non-Jewish believers in Jesus, okay? The question was, should the Gentiles be required to obey all the Jewish laws and rituals as well? And the Judaizers both taught and believed that to be right with God, you must have Jesus and then add on to it all of the Jewish laws and rituals, including circumcision, which is mentioned an absurd amount in this passage because that was the issue of the day. 
that in order to be a good Christian, you had to do all of the things that Jews did plus add Jesus to it. And Paul, of course, was adamantly opposed to that. And he reminds us here in verse six, for neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Now, as I said, circumcision was mentioned because that was the issue of the day, but um, as Paul talked about, was it Philippians 3 we looked at a couple weeks ago? The idea of, of confidence in the flesh, human effort apart from the grace of God. That's what he's talking about. So when you read here in Galatians circumcision, you could sort of just substitute into that human effort, confidence in the flesh. And that's, what's, that's what he's getting at. So, so when, when Paul points out here in verse six, what he points out here is that what matters most to God, what matters most to God in the end is not our rituals or our traditions or even our morality or, or what movement we're part of. What matters most in the end is that we are clinging to Jesus and Jesus alone, even if it's with the smallest, thinnest little strand of faith that we can possibly muster. Is Jesus central in your life? Is he the center of it all? Now listen, we're all sinners, we're all broken people. None of us could say, yes, perfectly, Jesus is the center of my life, but are you striving by the grace of God to make Jesus the center of everything? Is he the animating principle of your life? That it's, that it's Jesus and Jesus alone. That's what Paul is getting at here in, in Galatians 5, the centrality of the cross of Jesus Christ. But he says this interesting line here in verse 11. If I still preach circumcision, in other words, if I still preach human effort, if I still preach confidence in the flesh, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. So so what I want to look at next in verse 11 here is the offense of the cross. The offense of the cross. The Judaizers came in. After Paul would plant a church, he would move on, right? The Judaizers, this group, they came in after Paul, and they said, hey, listen, Paul's really on our side. Like, he really believes that it's Jesus plus Jewish tradition ritual. He just changes his message depending on who he's talking to. So when he's talking to the Jews, he preaches circumcision. When he's talking to the Gentiles, he basically just preaches Jesus and Jesus alone. But he's with us. And and he's kind of a coward, and that's why he moves his message around. And, uh, And Paul's response to that in verse 11 is, if I'm so accommodating, then why am I so opposed? Which is a great question. Like, why are they coming after him if he's on their side, right? Now, here's the reality. Paul loved all people. Paul loved all people, which means he loved them all enough to give them the real gospel. And so by giving them the real gospel, he preserved the offense of the cross. What, what does that mean? What is it about the cross that's offensive? And here we're not talking about, Paul does not have in view the gruesome, gory details of crucifixion. Okay, like you might look at that, read that, study about that and go, oh gosh, I can't stomach it. It's really brutal and it is, but that's not what Paul's talking about here. What is it about the cross that rubs us the wrong way? What is it about the cross of Jesus Christ that, that offends us? Is it not this, that it wounds our pride? Wounds our pride. Because you and I as humans, particularly those of us from the West, 
those of us who are Americans in general, in specific, I mean, um, we, we tend to believe in our human potential. We believe that we can do anything if we just try hard enough. And that's gotten us a lot of good places. It's also gotten us a lot of destructive places. But this is how it works. We say things, okay, you fail a test. You go, okay, I will study more next time. Uh, you have a bad game, you know, and you're like, oh, I'll practice more. Uh, you get a ticket for speeding and you go, I'll try to be more careful, which really what you mean is I'll try not to get caught next time. Um, you lose a job, you get fired from a job and you go, all right, I will, I will find a job that's a better fit for me or I'll do better. I'll be more aware, more, you know, I'll lead better next time. You have broken relationship, you know, you lose a boyfriend or girlfriend and you go, um, I'll, do, I'll, I'll pick better <laughs> next time. <laughs> I'll try to be more attentive to, right? So we, we think in some sense that our goodness can outweigh or undo our badness without realizing that our goodness is the worst part of our badness because that's what keeps us stuck where we are. But see, the cross comes to us and the cross says, there is no way for you to dig yourselves out of your deepest problem. You need to be rescued. That the Son of God suffered our condemnation to rescue us from our horrible potential. Pride manifests itself um, <laughs> like this. Uh, I love living here because there's a lot of bumper stickers on cars. Um, and you can learn a lot about people that you never asked or wanted to know at a stoplight. But um, one of the ones you see a lot around here is um, the answers are within. And, I, and I'm, I think they mean within ourselves, not within their Hyundai, but I can't be sure about that. <laughs> Or you see this, I've seen this one a lot too. Um, listen to your heart above all other voices. And those sound like bumper stickers, right? They sound really pithy and cute. Um, but the cross comes along and says, no, 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 it's your deceitful heart that's not the answer to your problems, but actually the source of all your problems. So, so every time you see a cross, and it's, let's be honest, it's hard to escape the cross in our culture, right? Like it's on church steeples and signs, it's on cross, it's on people's necks or bumper stickers, right? People wear chains. It's in our pop culture. I mean, um, uh, pop artists are utilizing the cross uh, for some strange reason in their videos. And so every time you see a cross, here's what you need to think about. You need to see Jesus beaten, bloodied, nails through his hands and his feet, crown of thorns shoved onto his skull, suffering, dying, unjustly condemned. And while he's there, here's what he's whispering to you and to me. I'm not here for my sin. I'm here for yours. And so our identity, who we think we are, gets crushed at the cross. And that's painful but it's good to be offended by the cross because it actually also frees us. The cross frees us. The cross reminds us. When you, when you think about Jesus on the cross or you see a cross, here's what it's reminding, of, reminding you of. 
because our sin, our, our desire to be our own authority and do what we want over what God wants, our rejection of his authority, our, um, all of our foolishness and stupid decisions that we've made on our own to try to dig ourselves out of whatever pit we're in, which only got us deeper, okay? That demands payment. That demands the justice of God. That demands um, condemnation. But, but at the cross, Jesus reminds us, he doesn't demand our blood. He gives us his own, that Jesus Christ opened his veins for us to vividly demonstrate to you and to me the love and the faithfulness of God to sinners like us who would come to him with empty hands. And if we accept the cross, our healing begins. By God's grace, we, we start to feel loved. Not because we are lovable, but because God is love. We start to feel forgiven. Forgiven of all of our stupid decisions and, and, and foolishness. We start to feel free. Free from the bondage of our sin free from the bondage of ourselves. But that's not where this passage stops. You guys with me so far? You're like, how on earth does this apply to loving my neighbor? We're getting there, okay? And it's gonna be awesome, so keep with me. What does God want us to do with this newfound freedom? What does he want us to do with this sense of love and forgiveness that we have received by his grace? Well, look at verses 13 and 14 with me. For you were called to freedom, brothers, brothers and sisters, it's implied. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So last thing I want you to see here is the freedom of the cross. The freedom of the cross. What is it that God wants us to do with this newfound freedom purchased for us by the blood of Jesus Christ? Through love, serve one another. Okay, now we're getting somewhere. This is the trajectory that the good news of Jesus brings us on. It's what, it, it's what the, the good news calls us to. Now, when he says here, you were called to freedom, only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, what he has in mind here, that the translation can also be our selfishness, okay? Um, our flesh is essentially that impulse that every single one of us feel to make our lives and all of our relationships serve ourselves. So, so there's basically two ways to live, Right? We can live a self-focused life, which biblically, that would be called bondage. Or, by God's grace, we can live an others-focused life, and that's actually freedom. The reality is, though, it's a real battle in our hearts between living for ourselves and living for others. 
And yet we all know, if we would just take a moment and step back and think about it critically, we would all recognize that the only way that human flourishing happens in our world is through others-focused attitudes and environments. It's the only way that flourishing happens. And here's how we know. Look at verse 15 again. If you bite and devour one another, watch out, you're not consumed by one another. You know what that is? That is a description of a self-focused culture that turns into predatory instincts, biting, devouring, consuming. Contrast that with serving through love. Think about this, okay, what, um, biting. What would be the opposite, perhaps, of biting? Um, healing, right? A bite causes a wound or, or, or tears the skin. We would be putting it back together. So um, self, let's see, self-focus over here. Self-focus is biting. Others' focus is healing. Devouring. What might be the opposite of devouring? Building up. Instead of destroying and devouring, we're building up. Okay? Um, Consuming. On the one hand, we're consuming. We're just taking. What's the opposite of that by God's grace? Maybe replenishing. Right? So so you see these contrasts in play. The self-focused life versus the other's focused life. What is it that we see at the cross? Um, Paul says this in Galatians 2. I'll just turn there really quickly. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And listen to this. And the life I now live in the flesh, in my human body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, Jesus lived the ultimate others-focused Life. He, he loved me and he gave himself for me. And if we have received by the empty hands of faith, with the empty, empty hands of faith, the finished work of Jesus on our behalf, if we have received the love of God for us, the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God for us, then it frees us to be people. This is the calling for every single one of us who follow Jesus. The calling on our lives is to live in such a way that one day, Someday, somewhere, somehow, somebody says of you and of me, they love me and gave themselves for me. That's the calling on every one of us. That that somehow, somewhere, someday, someone would say of us, they loved me and gave themselves for me. Paul says to us here, the whole law is fulfilled in this one word, one phrase, love your neighbor as yourself. So that begs a question. Who then is my neighbor? If I'm supposed to love my neighbor as, my health, as myself, who, who qualifies, right? Which is a great question and one that a scribe asked of Jesus. Who, who's my neighbor? And the answer essentially without going into that passage is this. Your neighbor is anyone that God in his sovereignty, crosses your path with that you have an opportunity to serve and to bless. And honestly, I think a better way of asking the question is not who is my neighbor, but who needs a neighbor? Who needs a neighbor? How can I help? How can I come alongside? So here's what we're gonna do the rest of our time. I wanna get real granular, real practical here. You guys with me? It's like very quiet in here. All right. Like no amen moments. You guys are slacking today. It's fine. 
Let's get real practical. We've been talking uh, throughout this series on the stewardship of our time. We all get 168 hours a week. It's all equal, right? We all get the same amount of time a week. Now, how we use that time is, is different for many of us, but we've talked about um, committing 2% of every day of our lives to knowing Christ. That means 30 minutes a day, right? Uh, worship, Bible reading, study, prayer, whatever, right? They're how we can, is Jesus worth 2% of our day to devote to knowing Christ, okay? We talked last week about becoming a family and this idea of devoting, uh, committing 2% of our week, right? Which is like three hours. So it's like coming to this gathering and maybe being in a group or serving on a team, you know, those kind of things. Like, what does it look like to become a family? We gotta spend time together. So our, is it worth at least 2% of our time to, to, to devote to building this family and becoming a family together? Uh, in the same vein, I wanna ask this. Uh, as a disciple of Jesus, can we invest 2% of our year to loving our neighbor? That equates to about seven days. Now you might think, that is a lot of time, seven whole days. Um, and those of you who are keen on math will know that 2% of your day, your week, and your year at the end of the year is all the same exact amount of time. Is it worth 2% of my week? Now, here's what that can look like. Or sorry, 2% of my year. So seven days out of my year. And, and I'm not asking you to like keep a spreadsheet and like check off, all right, 30 minutes here. You know, I got six and a half days down. I've only got a half day to go. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just trying to give you a baseline for, for, for your life as a disciple of Jesus, right? At a baseline, can I sort of equate these things together? What does it look like to love my local neighbor? Now that might literally be a neighbor in your apartment complex or your condo or your neighborhood, right? Someone who lives beside you. For some of you, it might actually be someone in your house. Uh, a spouse or a roommate or a child who doesn't know or follow Jesus. What does it look like to, to share meals and conversations with them, to know them, to serve them, to love them, to share the good news of Jesus with them in the hope that they come to experience the joy of Jesus Christ. But it could also mean just coming alongside a neighbor in need, right? Um, finding ways uniquely to bless them and serve them and just show them that you care about them, that you give them dignity as image bearers of God. Maybe loving your local neighbor looks like partnering with some of our local partners with Peak Academy, okay, which serves um, underprivileged children in our city who, who there's an education gap, right, between the, the poor, poorest kids and those with means. And maybe loving your local neighbor looks like partnering with Peak Academy to do some tutoring, right, or to, to volunteer at the school and to show the, the teachers and the children that you love them, that you care about them. Maybe loving your local neighbor looks like partnering with ABCCM. You know, they've got the Transformation Village right up the road here. Um, uh, there are many ways that ABCCM serves our local community. Um, wh whether that means coming alongside uh, women who've experienced domestic abuse and, and serving and lo loving their children, or maybe veterans who've fallen on hard times, or uh, even helping people get bills paid and, and, and redoing their budgets. Um, maybe your heart is for your homeless neighbor, 
And so you might wanna partner with, with Western Carolina Rescue Mission, who's one of our local partners, and just uh, coming alongside those who are experiencing homelessness and serving and blessing them and giving dignity to image bearers of God who are unhoused. Maybe your local neighbor is, is uh, women who've experienced unexpected or unwanted pregnancies, and you can partner with Mountain Area Pregnancy Services to come alongside them and walk with them through this very challenging time of their lives to, to help them see the, the beauty and glory of this little child that's in their womb and walk with them through that process. Maybe, maybe your local neighbor is a, a child who, who has been removed from their family and is in foster care. And maybe you wanna serve as a foster parent or come alongside foster parents and, and serve and bless them as they do that hard work of fostering children. Uh, fostering Hopes is another one of our local partners. There's a multitude of ways that you can get involved, hands-on, devoting time to loving your local neighbor. But we also have global neighbors, don't we? When Jesus gave us the Great Commission, he said, go into all the world and make disciples. And so our neighbor is not just someone who's in close proximity to us necessarily, but um, we, we can have eyes to see beyond to, to global needs that are out there. So God might call you to spend a week of your time to go on a mission trip uh, to, to Tanzania or to Nicaragua, as we have a team doing very soon. To, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to, to show and to serve and to declare and to demonstrate the reality and the beauty of Jesus to people another world away from you. And we're gonna be putting more of those types of opportunities together. But I have two very practical ways today that you can participate in loving your global neighbor. Aren't you glad we provided opportunities for you? Both are gonna cost you money. <laughs> okay, so just buckle up. Here, here's what I got for you. As I just mentioned, we have a team going to Nicaragua. Uh, I will be on that trip as well. I think there's 11 of us going. We leave on Valentine's Day, uh, and we're going to be spending a week down there with Vision Nicaragua. Uh, many of the folks on the trip are trying to raise a little extra money to offset the cost of their trip so that they can go. And what you can do today is you can participate in our fundraiser lunch. It'll be up in the frame building right after the gathering, and you can buy a spaghetti lunch, take it to go, or eat it there. Okay? Um, I can't promise it's gonna be the best tasting spaghetti dinner you've ever had. I can't promise you it's gonna be the cheapest spaghetti dinner you've ever had. But by participating, by eating lunch, um, which you gotta do anyway, and who wants to go sit in line at a restaurant when it's wet and cold outside? Just go up there and get you something, go home. By participating in that, you're able to support your brothers and sisters who are going to represent you in Nicaragua to love our global neighbor. And I think it's a really easy and practical way for all of us to be able to participate in loving our global neighbor today. But the second thing, and you probably saw this on your way in, is by sponsoring a compassion child. Now, some of you might not know this, but Missy O'Day uh, had a longstanding relationship with Compassion. In fact, I think our first Compassion Sunday was either 2013 or 2014. Uh, that day, we had 100 packets of 100 kids in a brand new center that needed to be sponsored. And uh, by God's grace, all of those kids got sponsored within a couple days of that first, uh, first um, Compassion Sunday. Uh, then God opened doors for us to, to work in Tanzania. I will let you know, everything that we do in Tanzania right now, which is a lot, and you're gonna be hearing more about it in the coming weeks, every ministry opportunity we've had in the country of Tanzania started through the connections we had at Compassion. So everything you see happening is because Compassion was the, the tip of the spear. 
Uh, but we partnered with another pastor and his name is Sylvester and he pastors uh, a church out in another village and uh, he applied and got approved for Compassion and many of you donated and we helped build the Compassion Center uh, in that village and they have another hundred or so kids in that Compassion Center and we sponsored all those kids as well and today we've got 30 more packets, 30 children who are in those two specific centers that we partner with and um, we go there. I've got four Compassion kids. I've had the privilege of meeting all four of them uh, and it just melts your heart to see children uh, who, who you've written letters to and you know you got their little picture with them looking like this and it's on your fridge and you pray for them and uh, and then you meet them face to face and you're like, oh my gosh, like this 40 bucks a month I'm spending is nothing compared to what the joy that they're experiencing in Christ here, right? So here's the thing, $43 a month is what it costs you to sponsor a Compassion Kit, which by the way, is less than most Americans spend on all the streaming services that they have. Straight up, okay? And by the way, half of Americans have streaming services they don't even use. So just cancel one, nickname your kid Hulu and let's move on. It's also about the same amount that Americans spend on coffee every month. And sadly, I have to report to you that most people use K-cups. We're spending 40 bucks a month on garbage coffee. Cancel it, buy some real coffee, and sponsor a kid. Okay, so here's, I got a surprise for you. Uh, my friend Maureen, I met her in 2013 when uh, I had a privilege of going on a compassion trip to uh, Uganda and Kenya. And uh, Maureen, I'm gonna let you tell her story because she's here with us this morning. And um, she has an amazing story. She was a compassion child who was sponsored and uh, now as an adult ministers to other women. So would you welcome Maureen Kaderi up to the platform? All right, I'm gonna sit down. I'm just gonna let her tell you her story here. Thank you, Maureen. Lord, I'm amazed. By how you've shown me mercy. Chineke mo, thank you for your mercy. Lord, I'm amazed by how you've shown us mercy. Daddy, oh, thank you for your mercy. Lord, I'm amazed. By how you've shown me mercy. Chineke mo, thank you for your mercy. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your mercies that are new every single morning. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love, for your grace. Majestic is your name, O God, in all the ways, O God. Majestic is your ways, O Father. You are so great, you are glorious, you are wondrous, O God. There's none like you, El Shaddai, El Roy, Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, O God. This morning I choose to thank you. Thank you because you are a God who chooses the nobodies and gives their destinies a glorious end, O God. You are a God who forgives us. You are a God who, when we don't even deserve it, oh God, you delete our past, oh God. Thank you, God, because of your mercy, oh Father, that you chose a poor girl like me, oh God. And changed my destiny. 
and rewrote my story for the glory and honor of your name. The hour has come that you must increase as I decrease. Speak through my voice, O oh God. Thank you for your presence, O oh God. And may your name forever be praised and honored because there is no other God like you. I pray all this in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Jumbo, my name is Maureen from Kenya, I'm sorry. My name is Maureen from Nairobi, Kenya, and I'm so honored to be here. I grew up in Karubang Islam, which is the third largest slum in Kenya, and life in the slum is not easy. There's trash everywhere. There's a lot of prostitution, a lot of drug abuse, a lot of trash everywhere. No clean, running water. You know, talk about the bad things, lack of employment, talk about backstreet abortion, everything bad happening in the slum. A family of six, we were living in a 10 by 10 cubicle house. That the walls were made of mud, the floor was not cemented, the roof was made of iron sheets that had holes. And worst are the days when it rained, because when it rained, it meant that we could not sleep, especially if it rains at night. We had to look for a corner and stand at that corner. And even when it stopped raining, we could not go back to sleep because we didn't have a bed. And so we used our tattered clothes that we would wear during the day and at night would spread uh, down, you know, my parents will sleep on one end of the house and the four of us on this other end. And so we could not go back to sleep because the floor was wet. And so I was always, like the next day I was not happy or I was sad going to school or I would go to school crying because my uniform was wet, my books were wet, and my teachers would not understand. And I had, you know, I had not slept the whole night. Life was so unbearable for us. My mom was not working. My dad was a casual laborer, and if, she, if he had to work and get money, he would get at least $10 a month. Our house rent was $6. So basically, we survived on $4, which will not give us the basic needs that we needed. Taking a shower was a privilege. In the slum, we didn't have a... A, 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 a toilet or a bathroom, we used what is called a flying toilet, where you take a plastic bag, you release your waist there, swing it, and then release it. Wherever it falls, that is where it was meant to be. If you are walking and then it falls on your face, I'm sorry. Food was our greatest problem. We went for days without eating, four or five days without food. And if we had to eat, we had to go to the market and pick rotten fruits and vegetables or dig in the trash and pick the rotten food that was there, come home and eat. I was so hopeless. My family was so hopeless. And I grew up as a very bitter child. I hated God because I never understood why he allowed all that to happen to us. I hated life, and there are so many times, I remember one time I contemplated, you know, and wished that we were all dead. Other than going through what we were facing, 
in life. But I thank God, when I was seven years old, God rewrote my story. I'm standing here today because God rewrote my story when I was seven years old and joined Compassion, where at first I thought it was all about food. And I was always looking forward to going every Saturday because that is the place that I received food in the morning. There was tea. There was tea at 10 again. And there was a balanced diet during lunchtime, something that we didn't have at home. Adding to eat fruits. And so every Saturday was Christmas to me and I was always looking forward because I first thought that compassion was all about food. And even as I was going, they reached a point when I was like, yes, I've gone with my family four or five days without eating. What about, and I've gone to the project and I've eaten, what about my family who are still at home? And so I started carrying a plastic bag with me. And every Saturday, I'll pretend during lunchtime that I'm not full. So I will eat the first plate, go for a second share, third share, fourth share, and put it in the plastic bag to take it back home so that at least my family will have something to eat. And so even then, they were always looking forward to Saturday because they knew that Maureen will come back home with food. And I remember one time when it reached, the social worker said, Maureen, you don't need to be doing this. Every Saturday, after eating, pass by the kitchen, and we'll have a package ready with food for you to take back home. With time, I... I realized compassion was more than food because it's at the compassion project that I received my first Bible. I was taught how to read the Bible and how to pray. It is at the compassion project that I received Jesus, the best thing that ever happened to me. You can take everything, but one thing that I know is that Jesus is enough. I received hope, but Jesus found me. And with that changed my perspective of poverty because I've always seen poverty is tremendous, lack of hope, and that is what I say. But from that time when I received Jesus, I remember it was Matthew 6, 33, that is the message that uh, convicted me, that seek ye first the kingdom of God and all the other things shall be added unto you. And when I received Jesus, I stand here to say that I thank God for poverty. Because of poverty, I received Christ, the best thing that I ever wished for, or I could ever wish for. Apart from Christ, I, had, I, I got opportunity to go back to school. Before, I could not go to school, or I was on and off because we could not afford school fees. I didn't have clean uniform, and I remember I used to be called hyena because I was always begging people for food. But Compassion paid my school fees, bought for me new uniform, and life started to change from the last in class to topping my school in primary. Because there is power in food, and there is also power in opportunity. The opportunity that I got in Compassion changed everything about me and about my family. And they connected me with these amazing people that I love, my sponsors, that I've never met, but I pray for them every day that may God continue to bless them and to increase them because they changed my story. God used them to change my story. And I believe they only picked a packet because of maybe the way I was. I was so malnourished. 
standing like a police or just standing there without knowing. I believe maybe that is how they pick their packet because of how I was looking. But they didn't know the ripple effect of that sponsorship. By paying my school fees, making me celebrate Christmas by sending Christmas gift and birthday gift, but above all through the letters that they sent to me. And the letters will say, Maureen, we love you so much. And I remember every time I will get a letter from my sponsors, I'll go to the community and want to, everybody to know that I have my Mzungu friend. Mzungu is white. And the letter said, Maureen, we love you so much. We are praying for you. We have a picture of you in our refrigerator. I didn't know what a refrigerator was. And so I had to go to the social worker to ask what is a refrigerator. And she had to explain it is this box that cools things. And one day when we were going to the compassionate office, we passed by the city and she showed me what a refrigerator was. And the letter continues that, Maureen, poverty does not determine your future. It shapes it. And I stand here because poverty never determined my future. It shaped it. I thank God that my sponsor saw that before I saw it. That compassion and my sponsors believed in me when I didn't believe in myself. They educated me up to the university level. I'm a teacher by profession. And through the generosity of my sponsor, I'm standing here as a, as an, a beneficiary or an alumni of Compassion, but also a sponsor of Compassion International because my husband and I sponsor four children through Compassion, one in Mexico and three in Kenya. Being on the other side of receiving hope and now giving hope. And I also thank God because when you find hope, hope grows. Hope has grown in me. And I'm here giving hope through the sponsorship, but also through what I do. Where I work in Rehema Rescue Center, where we rescue young, poor, pregnant girls from the streets and slums of Kenya. These are girls age 15 and below who are pregnant either due to rape, incest or survival prostitution. The only option they have is either to procure an abortion or commit suicide. The only option we have is Jesus Christ. We accept them the way they are. We love on them until they love on Jesus. And so I thank God for our opportunity to be the hand and the feet of Jesus and to give hope to the hopeless the way it was given unto me. Thank you so much and God bless you. Should have had her start and just close this thing down. Um, and she was telling me there's, you have 85 women, right, at, in your ministry? 85 women and their children. She's the mother and grandmother of those women who've been rescued out of the slums who are pregnant. It's amazing. So, you know, our prayer is, is not just that you'd pick a packet and, and give money towards this ministry, but that those children on the other end of those resources um, meet Jesus and, and grow to become ferocious servants of the kingdom of God. You know, that's, that's the goal. Um, so let, let me set us up by, um, we're gonna kind of move into our regular time of response now. Um, there are 30 packets of children that are specifically in our centers that are gonna be out on those tables. We've got extra packets if we run out and by God's grace, we will. But um, this is not a guilt trip or a shame thing. This is just a, here's an opportunity. Um, and what else are you gonna do with 40 bucks a month? That's worth this. 
right? So um, we're gonna pray. Uh, I'm gonna invite you to communion, and, and here's what I wanna say about communion. Um, we do this every week, but I was thinking about this, you know, why do we do this? Well, we do this because Jesus didn't just love his neighbor, he loved his enemy. And he came to us, Ephesians 2 says that we are enemies of God following after the course of this world, the prince of the power of the air, but Christ, because of the great love with which he loved us, by his mercy, he saved us and he seated us in the heavenlies with him. Um, I say this a lot, but there's coming a day where we, were, we will feast with our Lord. And, and this meal, this communion meal, is a reminder of the mercy of Jesus to us, a reminder that he loved us, not just because we were his neighbors, but his enemies, and he made us his friends, made us his family. Uh, and so we come with gratitude, we come with thanksgiving, we come with joy that we get to participate in this thing. If you're not a Christian, you can stay in your seats, but if you all are a follower of Jesus, you'll be welcomed. We'll start with the back rows and work our way robot I row forward. The band's going to come up and uh, play music and, and lead us in a couple songs, but you'll take a piece of the bread, um, remembering the body of Christ, dip into the juice or the wine, whatever your conscience allows, remembering the blood of Jesus, which was spilled for you to welcome you into his family. Uh, and then you can make your way back to your seats. Um, new this week, at each exit, there is a black box now. So if you're new here and want to be known, you can f drop a connect card in there. If you're a regular or a member and you want to give financially towards the, the mission of this church, uh, you can drop those offerings in those black boxes as well. Um, as you make your way back to your seats, we're going to sing a few songs, uh, and then I'll dismiss us, and you can go to the compassion table and then head up to the frame building for lunch. Okay? Sound good? All right, let me pray for us, and we'll respond to the Lord. Father, what a joy uh, to be here this morning with these brothers and sisters. Thank you for the testimony of our sister Maureen and just how impactful uh, that small gift. In the grand scheme of things, it's a small gift. And I know not everyone's able to do it, um, but for those who have the ability, um, that small gift has a tremendous kingdom impact. And so, Lord, as we respond today, maybe our response is simply repentance and faith coming into your kingdom. Maybe our response is to free ourselves up from uh, our selfishness by your grace and to release resources and time towards loving our neighbor. Um, however you convict us and challenge us, Lord, help us to respond to you in obedience. And would you be glorified as we respond now with communion, with singing, with giving. Uh, we love you. And so um, fill us with joy now as we respond. In the name of Jesus, I pray, and by the power of your spirit, amen.